Section three of Sintram and His Companions. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alison Valdes. Sintram and His Companions by Friedrich de la Motte Fouquet. Translated by F. E. Bunet. Chapter six. The Lord of Montfaucon looked with astonishment at his strange foe, and as he gazed on him more and more, recollections arose in his mind of that northern race from whom he was descended, and with whom he had always maintained friendly relations. A golden bear's claw, with which Sintram's cloak was fastened, at length made all clear to him. "'Have you not?' said he. "'A valiant and far-famed kinsman, called the sea-king Arinbjorn, "'who carries on his helmet golden vulture-wings? "'And is not your father the knight-bjorn? "'For surely the bear's claw on your mantle "'must be the cognizance of your house.' "'Sintram assented to all this in deep and humble shame. "'The knight of Montfaucon raised him from the ground "'and said gravely, yet gently, we are, then, of kin the one to the other. But I could never have believed that any one of our noble house would attack a peaceful man without provocation, and that, too, without giving warning. "'Slay me at once,' answered Sintram. "'If indeed I am worthy to die by so noble hands, I can no longer endure the light of day.' "'Because you have been overcome?' asked Montfalcon. Sintram shook his head. "'Or is it, rather, because you have committed an unknightly action?' The glow of shame that overspread the youth's countenance said yes to this. "'But you should not, on that account, wish to die,' continued Montfaucon. "'You should rather wish to live, that you may prove your repentance, and make your name illustrious by many noble deeds.' For you are endowed with a bold spirit, and with strength of limb, and also with the eagle glance of a chieftain. I should have made you a knight this very hour, if you had borne yourself as bravely in a good cause as you have just now in a bad. See to it, that I may do it soon. You may yet become a vessel of high honour. A joyous sound of shawms and silver rebecks interrupted his discourse. The lady, Gabrielle, bright as the morning, had now come down from the ship, surrounded by her maidens, and instructed in a few words by Folco, who was his late foe. She took the combat as some mere trial of arms, saying, "'You must not be cast down, noble youth, because my wedded lord has won the prize.' For be it known to you, that in the whole world there is but one knight who can boast of not having been overcome by the Baron of Montfaucon. And who can say, continued she, sportively, whether even that would have happened, had he not set himself to win back the magic ring from me, his lady-love, destined to him, as well by the choice of my own heart, as by the will of heaven? 
Falco, smiling, bent his head over the snow-white hand of his lady, and then bade the youth conduct them to his father's castle. Rolf took upon himself to see to the disembarking of the horses and valuables of the strangers, filled with joy at the thought that an angel in woman's form had appeared to soften his beloved young master, and perhaps even to free him from that early curse. Sintram sent messengers in all directions to seek for his father, and to announce to him the arrival of his noble guests. They therefore found the old knight in his castle, with everything prepared for their reception. Gabrielle could not enter the vast, dark-looking building without a slight shudder, which was increased when she saw the rolling, fiery eyes of its lord. Even the pale, dark-haired Sintram seemed to her very fearful, and she sighed to herself, "'Oh, what an awful abode have you brought to me to visit, my knight! Would that we were once again in my sunny Gascony, or in your knightly Normandy!' But the grave yet courteous reception, the deep respect paid to her grace and beauty, and to the high fame of Folco, helped to reassure her, and soon her bird-like pleasure in novelties was awakened through the strange significant appearance of this new world. And besides, it could only be for a passing moment that any womanly fears found a place in her breast, when her lord was near at hand, for well did she know what effectual protection that brave baron was ever ready to afford to all those who were dear to him, or committed to his charge. Soon afterwards Rolf passed through the great hall, in which Bjorn and his guests were seated, conducting their attendants, who had charge of the baggage, to their rooms. Gabrielle caught sight of her favourite lute, and desired a page to bring it to her, that she might see if the precious instrument had been injured by the sea-voyage. As she bent over it with earnest attention, and her taper fingers ran up and down the strings, a smile, like the dawn of spring, passed over the dark countenances of Bjorn and his son, and both said, with an involuntary sigh, "'Ah! if you would but play on that lute and sing to it, it would be but too beautiful!' The lady looked up at them, well pleased, and smiling her assent, she began this song. Songs and flowers are returning, and radiant skies of May. Earth her choicest gifts is yielding, but one is passed away. The spring that clothes with tenderest green each grove and sunny plain shines not for my forsaken heart, brings not my joys again. Warble not so, thou nightingale, upon thy blooming spray, Thy sweetness now will burst my heart. I cannot bear thy lay. For flowers and birds are come again, And breeze is mild of May. But treasured hopes and golden hours Are lost to me for a. The two Norwegians sat plunged in melancholy thought, But especially Sintram's eyes began to brighten With a milder expression. His cheeks glowed, every feature softened, till those who looked at him could have fancied they saw a glorified spirit. The good Rolf, who had stood listening to the song, rejoiced thereat from his heart, 
and devoutly raised his hands in pious gratitude to heaven. But Gabrielle's astonishment suffered her not to take her eyes from Sintram. At last she said to him, "'I should much like to know what has so struck you in that little song. It is merely a simple lay of the spring, full of the images which that sweet season never fails to call up in the minds of my countrymen.' "'But is your home really so lovely, so wondrously rich in song?' cried the enraptured Sintram. "'Then I am no longer surprised at your heavenly beauty, at the power which you exercise over my hard, wayward heart. For a paradise of song must surely send such angelic messengers through the ruder parts of the world.' And so saying, he fell on his knees before the lady in an attitude of deep humility. Folco looked on all the while with an approving smile, whilst Gabrielle, in much embarrassment, seemed hardly to know how to treat the half-wild, half-tamed young stranger. After some hesitation, however, she held out her fair hand to him, and said, as she gently raised him, "'Surely one who listens with such delight to music must himself know how to awaken its strains. Take my lute!' and let us hear a graceful, inspired song. But Sintram drew back, and would not take the instrument, and he said, Heaven forbid that my rough, untutored hand should touch those delicate strings, for even were I to begin with some soft strains, yet before long the wild spirit which dwells in me would break out, and there would be an end of the form and sound of the beautiful instrument. No, no. Suffer me rather to fetch my own huge harp, strung with bear's sinews set in brass, for in truth I do feel myself inspired to play and sing. Gabriel murmured a half-frightened assent, and Sintram, having quickly brought his harp, began to strike it loudly, and to sing these words with a voice no less powerful. Sir Knight, Sir Knight, oh, whither away! With thy snow-white sail on the foaming spray, Sing hey, sing ho, for that land of flowers. Too long have I trod upon ice and snow, I seek the bowers where roses blow, Sing hey, sing ho, for that land of flowers. He steered on his course by night and day, Till he cast his anchor in Naples Bay, Sing hey, sing ho, for that land of flowers. There wandered a lady upon the strand, her fair hair bound with a golden band. Sing hey, sing ho for that land of flowers. Hail to thee, hail to thee, lady bright, mine own shalt thou be ere morning light. Sing hey, sing ho for that land of flowers. Not so, sir knight, the lady replied, for you speak to the margrave's chosen bride. Sing hey, sing ho, for that land of flowers. Your lover may come, with his shield and spear, And the victor shall win thee, lady dear. Sing hey, sing ho, for that land of flowers. Nay, seek for another bride, I pray, Most fair are the maidens of Naples Bay. Sing hey, sing ho, for that land of flowers. No, lady, for thee my heart doth burn, and the world cannot now my purpose turn. Sing hey, sing ho for that land of flowers. Then came the young Margrave, bold and brave, but low was he laid in a grassy grave.
Sing hey, sing ho for that land of flowers. And then the fierce Northman joyously cried, Now shall I possess lands, castle, and bride. Sing hey, sing ho for that land of flowers. Sintram's song was ended, but his eyes glared wildly, and the vibrations of the harp-strings still resounded in a marvellous manner. Bjorn's attitude was again erect. He stroked his long beard and rattled his sword, as if in great delight at what he had just heard. Much shuddered Gabrielle before the wild song and these strange forms, but only till she cast a glance on the lord of Montfaucon, sat there smiling, in all his hero's strength, unmoved, the rough uproar passed by him like an autumnal storm. CHAPTER Seven. Some weeks after this, in the twilight of evening, Sintram, very disturbed, came down to the castle garden. Although the presence of Gabrielle never failed to soothe and calm him, yet if she left the apartment for even a few instants, the fearful wildness of his spirit seemed to return with renewed strength. So even now, after having long and kindly read legends of the olden times to his father Bjorn, she had retired to her chamber. The tones of her lute could be distinctly heard in the garden below, but the sounds only drove the bewildered youth more impetuously through the shades of the ancient elms. Stooping suddenly to avoid some overhanging branches, he unexpectedly came upon something against which he had almost struck, and which, at first sight, he took for a small bear standing on its hind legs, with a long and strangely crooked horn on its head. He drew back in surprise and fear. It addressed him in a grating man's voice. "'Well, my brave young knight, whence come you? Whither go you? Wherefore so terrified?' And then first he saw that he had before him a little old man, so wrapped up in a rough garment of fur, that scarcely one of his features was visible, and wearing in his cap a strange-looking long feather. "'But whence come you, and whither go you?' returned the angry Sintram. "'For of you such questions should be asked. "'What have you to do in our domains, you hideous little being?' "'Well, well,' sneered the other one, "'I am thinking that I am quite big enough as I am. "'One cannot always be a giant. "'And as to the rest, why should you find fault "'that I go hunting here for snails? "'Surely snails do not belong to the game "'which your high mightiness consider "'that you alone have a right to follow?' Now, on the other hand, I know how to prepare from them an excellent high-flavoured drink, and I have taken enough for to-day, marvellous fat little beasts with wise faces like a man's, and long twisted horns on their head. Would you like to see them? Look here. And he began to unfasten and fumble about his fur garment, but Sintram, filled with disgust and horror, said, Pshaw! I detest such animals. Be quiet, and tell me at once who and what you are— you yourself are are you so bent upon knowing my name replied the little man let it content you that i am master of all secret knowledge and well versed in the most intricate depths of ancient history ah my young sir if you would only hear them but you are afraid of me afraid of you cried sintram with a wild laugh many a better man than you has been so before now muttered the little master but they did not like being told of it any more than you do. 
"'To prove that you are mistaken,' said Sintram, "'I will remain here with you till the moon stands high in the heavens. "'But you must tell me one of your stories the while.' "'The little man, much pleased, nodded his head, "'and as they paced together up and down a retired elm-walk, "'he began discoursing as follows. "'Many hundred years ago a young knight called Paris of Troy "'lived in that sunny land of the south.' where I found the sweetest songs, the brightest flowers, and the most beautiful ladies. You know a song that tells of that fair land, do you not, young sir? Sing hey, sing ho, for that land of flowers. Sintram bowed his head in assent and sighed deeply. Now, resumed the little master, it happened that Paris led that kind of life which is not uncommon in those countries, and of which their poets often sing. He would pass whole months together in the garb of a peasant, piping in the woods and mountains and pasturing his flocks. Here one day three beautiful sorceresses appeared to him, disputing about a golden apple, and from him they sought to know which of them was the most beautiful, since to her the golden fruit was to be awarded. The first knew how to give thrones and scepters and crowns, the second could give wisdom and knowledge, and the third could prepare philters and love-charms, which could not fail of securing the affections of the fairest of women. Each one in turn proffered her choicest gifts to the young shepherd, in order that, tempted by them, he might adjudge the apple to her. But as fair women charmed him more than anything else in the world, he said that the third was the most beautiful. Her name was Venus. The two others departed in great displeasure, but Venus bid, bid him put on his knightly armour and his helmet adorned with waving feathers, and then she led him to a famous city called Sparta, where ruled the noble duke Menelaus. His young duchess, Helen, was the loveliest woman on earth, and the sorceress offered her to Paris in return for the golden apple. He was most ready to have her, and wished for nothing better, but he asked how he was to gain possession of her. "'Paris must have been a sorry knight,' interrupted Sintram. "'Such things are easily settled. "'The husband is challenged to a single combat, "'and he that is victorious carries off the wife.' "'But Duke Menelaus was the host of the young knight,' said the narrator. "'Listen to me, little master,' cried Sintram. "'He might have asked the sorceress for some other beautiful woman, "'and then have mounted his horse or weighed anchor and departed.' "'Yes, yes, it is very easy to say so,' replied the old man. "'But if you only knew how bewitchingly lovely this Duchess Helen was, "'no room was left for change.' "'And then he began a glowing description of the charms of this wondrously beautiful woman, "'but likening the image to Gabrielle so closely feature by feature "'that Sintram, tottering, was forced to lean against a tree. "'The little master stood opposite to him, grinning, and asked, "'Well, now?' "'Could you have advised that poor knight Paris to fly from her?' "'Tell me at once what happened next,' stammered Sintram. "'The sorceress acted honourably towards Paris,' continued the old man. "'She declared to him that if he would carry away the lovely duchess to his own city Troy, he might do so, and thus cause the ruin of his whole house and of his country.' but that during ten years he would be able to defend himself in Troy and rejoice in the sweet love of Helen. 
"'And he accepted those terms, or he was a fool,' cried the youth. "'To be sure he accepted them,' whispered the little master. "'I would have done so in his place. "'And you know, young sir, the look of things then was just as they are happening to-day. "'The newly risen moon, partly veiled by clouds, "'was shining dimly through the thick branches of the trees in the silence of evening.' Leaning against an old tree, as you are now doing, stood the young enamoured knight Paris, and at his side the enchantress Venus, but so disguised and transformed that she did not look much more beautiful than I do. And by the silvery light of the moon, the form of the beautiful beloved one was seen sweeping by alone amidst the whispering boughs. He was silent and like as in the mirror of his deluding words gabrielle just then actually herself appeared musing as she walked alone down the alley of elms man fearful master by what name shall i call you to what would you drive me muttered the trembling centrum thou knowest thy father's strong stone castle in the moon rocks replied the old man the castellan and the garrison are true and devoted to thee it could stand a ten years siege and the little gate which leads to the hills is open as was that of the citadel of sparta for paris and in fact the youth saw through a gate left open he knew not how the dim distant mountains glittering in the moonlight and if he did not accept he was a fool said the little master with a grin echoing sintram's former words at that moment gabrielle stood close by him she was within reach of his grasp and he made the least movement and a moonbeam suddenly breaking forth transfigured as it were her heavenly beauty the youth had already bent forward my lord and god i pray turn from this heart away this world's turmoil and call him to thy light, be it through sorrow's night, through pain or toil. These words were sung by old Rolf at that very time, as he lingered on the still margin of the castle fish-pond, where he prayed alone to heaven, full of foreboding care. They reached Sintram's ear. He stood as if spellbound, and made the sign of the cross. Immediately the little master fled away, jumping uncouthly on one leg, through the gates, and shutting them after him with a yell. Gabriel shuddered, terrified at the wild noise. Sintram approached her softly, and said, offering his arm to her, "'Suffer me to lead you back to the castle. The night in these northern regions is often wild and fearful.'" End of chapter 7